Hi, thanks for listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we ask that in the proclamation of your word, as it is enacted in sacrament, as it is read in scripture, as it is proclaimed in sermon, that that proclamation reach our hearts and find expression in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God at work. Day one, light separated from darkness. Day two, sky created. Day three, push the waters back so earth can appear. Day four, sky decorated, sun, moon, and stars placed in it. Day five, make creatures that swim and creatures that fly. Day six, make land creatures, including humans. And then day seven. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. And then a passage from Matthew that I hope you will later see has a real connection with the one that I just read. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child whom he put among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. The Bible is centuries old, reflects a different time and place, and was written in Hebrew and Greek. No wonder passages often need explaining. Sometimes, though, after a passage is translated, the surface meaning of it works just fine. Sometimes a passage doesn't need a scholar's help to get a good amen. Let your yes be yes and your no be no is going to get a strong amen from anyone who's been burned by lies or broken promises. Or quote this proverb to one who has just left a dinner table where a passionate debate turned ugly and personal. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. She's not going to ask, what does that mean? She's going to say, you got that right. And when Paul says, What I do is not the good that I want to do. No, the evil that I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. A lot of us, if we were honest, would say, yep, been there, brother. Such is the case with the surface hearing of our verses from Genesis. 
God might be a mystery beyond our ability to explain or define, but when we hear that after six hard days at work creating the universe, God takes a break on the Sabbath day, we get it. We have empathy for God. Now, sure, there is more beneath the surface that Bible scholars could help us understand. There's that whole, was the world literally created in six days conversation that we could have? Or we could talk about the countless times in the Bible we are told to keep the Sabbath. We could talk about the Sabbath not being simply a day of rest, but also a day to worship. We could talk about the ethical and justice implications about not only our taking a day of rest, but giving others, even animals, the passage says, even the earth, the rest they need. And we could talk about self-care and mindfulness that there are times we need to stop doing and focus on being and take a break from creating and spend some time appreciating. But there is a surface meaning here that is simply true, even if it's truly simple. Work should be followed by rest. Amen, says the teacher who recently came home, not only from the last day of school, but also the last day of a year simultaneously teaching online and in person. Amen, says the emergency room nurse who worked during the pandemic. Amen, says the business owner finally ready to sell the business. And amen, says the employee finally ready to retire. And amen, says the couple who has been through the hard work of therapy and has reached a point where they no longer are working against each other. If On a Sunday at summer's beginning, all I had to say is that work should be balanced by rest. I would get an amen from almost everyone, even if some might ask, well, did we really need to come to church to hear that? Did I really need to live stream this service to hear that? Now, since an important part of my job is to preach and interpret scripture, and I want to justify my salary to some degree, I'll go a little bit deeper. And I'll say something about rest that might need some explaining. I'm going to suggest something that on the surface might not make immediate sense. Here it is. There is a kind of work that is done when there is no work to be done. What got me to thinking about this was the book, The Coddling of the American Mind, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure. The authors, Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt, have concerns about how children are being raised today. They are concerned that children are well-protected but not well-prepared. Those who are now in high school and college are safer from physical harm than perhaps any other generation in American history, but are increasingly becoming something of a danger to themselves, as evidenced by rising rates of anxiety and even suicide, especially among young women. The efforts by parents and schools and communities to eliminate risk from their lives is robbing them sometimes of experiences that they need to have in order to become strong and durable as adults. The book is interesting, and I'd be happy to talk about it with any of you, but the serious concerns that they raise are not the focus of this sermon. What got me thinking about Sabbath rest 
is one of the contributing factors that they talked about, one of those contributing factors leading to growing anxiety. It's not the major contributing factor. Read the book. They would point to social media and some well-intended but misguided assumptions about what children need. The contributing factor that got my attention for this sermon is an example of what I meant when I said there is a kind of work that is done when there is no work to be done. It is the work of play. Lukianoff and Haidt are concerned about the decline of play, specifically of unsupervised play, play that is uncoached. And I was, you know, your coach, but play that is in soccer, play that is uncoached, the kind of play where the rules are up to the participants, where there is introduced some level of risk so as to learn how to manage it, where differences and hurt feelings have to be worked out by the children themselves. You see, in unsupervised play, children, without meaning to, are developing skills for life. They're developing skills that Alexis de Tocqueville says are needed in democracy if a democracy is to survive. He calls them the skills of association. As children play act, they learn how to work things out, how to negotiate, how to compromise, how to settle differences. Unsupervised play, they say, is especially important when children are small because that's when our brain is wired. Children need to practice behaviors that will give the brain the feedback it needs to optimize itself for success later in life when they are more on their own. Now, I'm not a neuroscientist, but that makes some sense to me. In fact, I think that is true for children of all ages, for adults of all ages. We need to rest from normal labors to give our minds, our spirits, room to play and discover. We can practice the skills of association that have nothing immediately to do with the tasks and responsibilities that we normally are required to do to keep a home going or to make a living. It helps us grow in our ability to be more human. Recreation is the work of recreation. That this is true for all ages is illustrated by what I remember Martha Anderson saying when she gave a presentation years ago to the Presbyterian women. She sat in the back. She can tell you if my years old memory is um, accurate or not. But she shared research about what helps older adults stay mentally sharp, psychologically healthy, and positive in their outlook. She said that older adults are best served when they are like children in this sense. They try new things even if they can't master them even if they never get good at them. They continue to try to learn what they don't know and explore what they are capable of doing. She said that ballroom dancing is an excellent hobby to take up because it, it does so many things that your brain needs, and that sounds fun. Continuing to be on committees and figuring out how to work with others who are not on the same page as you helps too, and that doesn't sound like so much fun. But thinking back on what Martha said, it occurs to me that when older adults start listening only to news channels that reflect their own bias or who spend time only with those who share their views, they're actually doing something that's bad for their brains. And MRI studies support that. 
It also occurs to me that she was recommending what seems to me to be an older adult version of unsupervised play. Take up hobbies that don't seem to matter. Learn things that you don't need to learn in order to make a living or to get through the day. Explore. Play. Is that part of what Jesus meant when he said that in order to inherit the kingdom of heaven, in order to come into the fullness of what it means to be holy and authentically human in God's world, that you must become like a child? Oh, no doubt Jesus is saying more than that. I mean, he's talking about being small in the sense of being humble, the greatest Christian virtue, in my opinion. He's talking about trusting in God like a child trusts a parent in his, Jesus' day and respecting the authority of God as children were to do in Jesus' day in relation to their parents. But most certainly, he is talking about, I think, a childlikeness, not childishness. A childlikeness that is critical to our growing into the image of God within us because it means being open to God's lead. Having a spiritual playfulness, if you will. Now, I've, I've been talking about keeping the Sabbath, and I've been talking about keeping the Sabbath in terms of resting from work and speaking of it in a sense of play that has nothing to do with production, what I haven't mentioned yet is any idea that we're commanded to keep the Sabbath through worship. Now I'll talk about that, but I don't think that I've changed the subject. In a sense, we come into worship to play. We leave behind the judgment, expectations, and supervision of the other six days, and we play act. As God's children, we practice the skills of association by imagining and acting out what it might mean to live the rest of the week as God's adults in the world. For instance, we might have been through a wonderful week when we were basically responsible adults. I have one or two of those weeks every year. That week we might have done our jobs. We were there for our loved ones. We didn't, as far as we know, really hurt anyone. But we come into worship and we confess our sins. We confess them every week and we gain skills to do the same when those inevitable times come when we need to set pride aside and admit that we were wrong, as hard as that is to do. And we practice hearing and accepting what is also sometimes hard to hear and accept, and that is forgiveness. We practice noticing the gifts of God and giving thanks because there come days when that's hard to do, but it's precisely what we will need to do when we find ourselves sinking into anxiety or despair. And we practice being quiet and listening to Scripture, to sermon, to an anthem, to silence. Because there certainly come days when, if we're not careful, we don't listen because we're talking too much. We don't hear or understand because we're too busy explaining ourselves, justifying ourselves, excusing ourselves, trying to win. We practice praying because that certainly is what we will need to do on those days when we're at a loss as to what to do or who to be. Worship is our chance to wonder how to live differently, how to live as if we were Jesus. 
It is to imagine this kingdom that Jesus is talking about, this realm of God where grace defines justice, where compassion defines the law, and where reconciliation between enemies is achieved instead of one denigrating or even destroying the other. And you know, worship is something we've got to do together. Because how can we get along the rest of the week as Christian adults if we don't practice how to do it together in worship as God's children? It's all about the arts of association. I'm here to tell you that in Scripture and in Christian tradition, there is almost no definition of worship being alone. Where two or more are gathered in my name, I am with you. Well, I didn't go too much deeper. But I do want you to hear, again, something that's simply transparent. Go to church. Keep the Sabbath. Take your rest. And let's play. Second Presbyterian. Finding direction by following Jesus. Jesus.